Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 59 called, The Redeemer Will Come to Zion. Okay, would you take your Bible, open it to Isaiah 59. Only 66 chapters in Isaiah, we're almost there. And we're coming into a really positive section as well. But not tonight. (laughs) Well, it ends, it's going to end positive. I want to correct something I said last Wednesday. I was telling you guys about the Feast of Trumpets. And I said something about the looking for the full moon. It's not the full moon at Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. It's the sliver of the moon or the dark moon. I said it right on Sunday, wrong on Wednesday. So I wanted to make sure that you weren't confused on that. That's, it's the actual, actually it's the dark moon. All right, Father, thank you for the people that have come tonight. Thank you for the worship and the prayer that's gone up. Thank you that you honor prayer and that you hear our prayers and that we belong to you and that you ever live to intercede for us. Amazing as that is, we have a, advocate on high, and he is pictured, Jesus, you are pictured as the servant of the Lord in the book of Isaiah, come to rescue us and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so we want to give you all the praise that you deserve, as Chris uh, so rightly prayed. You deserve all glory, all praise. May our lives uh, be a living testimony of your glory. May we be trophies of your grace to the praise of your glory. We ask that you'll uh, bless our time in Jesus' name, amen. Now in Isaiah 58, we looked at the famous chapter about false fasting. The people acted as if they belonged to the Lord and they were actually uh, fasting and it may have been on a feast day, we don't know for sure, but the only required fast was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is actually uh, coming up here shortly because it follows uh, Yom Teruah, which I mentioned is the Feast of Trumpets. It's the second of three fall feasts. So it may have been that they were fasting on that day, but they asked this question in Isaiah 58, verse three. They say, why have we fasted and thou does not see? So we've gone through this exercise. We believe we're doing the right thing. Why have we humbled ourselves or afflicted ourselves and thou does not Notice, and God responds, Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, verse 4, Isaiah 58, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not or you cannot fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. God was not hearing them because their hearts were wrong. They were going through what is right biblically. It is right to fast. It's biblical to fast. You want to make sure that you talk to somebody if you decide to fast, because some people don't do real well when it comes to fasting. Um, You got to know that your sugar and all that stuff is correct. But if you decide to fast, my encouragement to you is fast because you want more of the Lord in your life. Fasting is about pushing down the things of the flesh and elevating the things of the spirit. And if you decide to fast a meal or if you decide to fast television or whatever it may be, while you're doing the fast, fill that time with the word of God and prayer and worship. 
because you want that time to be about the Lord. In other words, instead of eating physically, why don't you allow that time to be spiritual nourishment for your soul? Fill that time with the spiritual instead of the physical. And you'll find that something special will happen in your life. I think you'll, you'll get closer to the Lord and you'll also learn something else about how needy your flesh is. Because if you have not skipped a meal before or if, you're not, if you haven't fasted in the past, your flesh will simply cry out to you. What are you doing? You always eat at this time. And you're gonna have to say something like this. Shut up. I'm not listening to you today, or at least for these two hours, right? So it's about elevating the things of the spirit. But they weren't doing that. You'll notice they were in the flesh. They were uh, doing their own desire, 58.3. They were driving hard their workers. They wouldn't give them a break. They were getting in fist fights and contention on the day of their fast. It was useless, it wasn't for the right reasons to begin with. And then they asked the question, hey God, why didn't you notice that we skipped a meal? And God's like, you can't do what you're doing today and expect to be heard on high. That's not how this works. If you really want to fast for the right reasons, and, and fasting could be because you're facing something that you really want wisdom over. We know that there were fasts called, for example, in the book of Esther, when Esther was going to go before the king, and she asked everybody to fast. That is now known as the Feast of Purim, and Israel does celebrate that today. Even if you go to Israel around that feast, they will be fasting at the Wailing Wall. We met some people. We were there at the Feast of Purim, and people had been fasting for quite a long time who were at the wall. But see, it has to be for the right reasons. It could be for, the, for protection. In the book of Ezra, as they were making their way back to the Holy Land, they called for a fast for protection. It could be um, that you are just going through a time where you want to draw closer to the Lord and you simply want more of him or you want him to have more of you, <laughs> as it were. Then it might be a good time to fast. But if you are looking for help on that, Uh, ask one of us and we'd be happy to help you. So why wasn't the Lord hearing? Why why weren't they getting the response that they hoped? Well, the Lord, he points his finger on uh, what is not the problem. Look at 59.1. He says, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull. Remember way back in Isaiah 6, the uh, people of Israel had become dull of hearing. They, they didn't hear the Lord. They didn't hear the voice of God. But God says, my ear is not dull. I can hear fine. My hand is not short that it cannot save. Here's the problem. The problem, verse two, is your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, this is a, a, a verse that's been used a lot in evangelism to make the case that sin causes a separation between us and God. And it is true, and it's good verses to use. Sin causes a breach in the relationship. As a matter of fact, God said through the prophet Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall what? Surely die. The wages of sin is death, but what death causes, what sin causes is separation. It causes a break in the relationship. It causes um, a divide. Something gets in between you and God, and it is sin. You might say, well, what's the big deal? Doesn't God know we're imperfect? 
yeah, but God is holy and he cannot look upon sin or he cannot look approvingly upon sin. And because he is so holy, if you came to him in a state where you were polluted, he would destroy you. He is that holy. So in order to have a relationship with God, your sin has to be dealt with. But the truth of the matter is, we read the Old Testament and we see over and over again that the people of Israel couldn't deal with their own sins. Nobody can. Nobody can perfectly fulfill the law. So God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he took away the thing that separates. What he did is he took it upon himself. And it pleased the Lord, this is Isaiah 53.10, we've studied it in the past, to crush Jesus Because in the crushing of Jesus, God's holiness would be satisfied and Jesus would take upon himself the sin of the world. By virtue of that, he would remove that which separates us so that we can be reconciled to God. These are all big theological terms that I think we all understand. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received the reconciliation. What God does is he steps in in the person of Christ and removes the barrier and takes it upon himself. At the cross, he gets treated as though he had committed all of our sins collectively, though he was totally innocent, and he becomes the go-between. He becomes the mediator between God and man, and he removes the barrier. And that's why now you are declared righteous before God. That's why now you are in a relationship with him, because your sin has been dealt with, by the way, theologically in full. From the cross, Jesus said, it is is what? Finished. It's paid in full. Your sins have been dealt with. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. This is who we are in Jesus. Now, the truth is we still wrestle with sin. It's true. We're we're being sanctified. It's little by little. Sometimes we feel like we take two steps forward and three back. We all know how that is. But we are being transformed from glory to glory. And as far as our position or standing before God is concerned, your declared righteous, all the righteousness of Christ has been put into your account and all of your sin was placed on him at the cross. It's called the great exchange of the cross. All your sin goes to Jesus, all his righteousness comes to you. This is the glory of the gospel of grace. It means it's finished, it's paid, you're secure in Jesus. And now, when you watch Paul write his letters, he will tell you, this is who you are. Now, in light of who you are, act the right way. Now that you know who you are, Ephesians 4, 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service. It's logical. That's the Greek word, logikos. In view of what? His great mercy. Paul spends the first 11 chapters explaining grace to you so you understand what it is. And now he, then he says in chapter 12, took 11 chapters to explain grace because it's so heavy and so deep and so profound. Now, then he says, therefore, now present yourself. Now don't be conformed to that world from which you were rescued. Now be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. This is the gospel. That's why Christianity is set apart from every ism and world religion because it says that your sin has been paid for in full at the cross. Now you do what you do out of gratitude to God. 
You say, Lord, thank you for taking away that which separated me from you because had you not done it, those sins would have still been there and the separation would have still been there. And by the way, the essence of the word death is separation. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael has an invitation for you. If you're looking for a fellowship to participate in and you're anywhere within driving distance of the Inland Empire, I pastor a church along with other pastors. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. And we do two Sunday morning services each Sunday, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We happen to be moving through the book of Philippians at the current moment. Hey, plan on joining us this weekend. We'd love to have you. I'd love to meet you. I'll meet you right there at the Donuts. Maybe we'll split a maple bar. (laughs) And hey, remember, if you can't join us, if you're not within the Inland Empire, then find a good, healthy Bible teaching church and go and serve the Lord because he's worthy. And when we're part of the body, an active part of the body, man, it makes a big difference in our lives and the lives of others. So make sure you're plugged in to fellowship this weekend. God bless you. Learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael Lance serves as senior pastor, when you visit walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. You say, Lord, thank you for taking away that which separated me from you. Because had you not done it, those sins would have still been there and the separation would have still been there. And by the way, the essence of the word death is separation. That's the essence of the word. Ultimate death is to be separated from your creator. It's to be in judgment and hell because your sins were not dealt with. So think of the error now of a person who thinks that they can be good enough to earn heaven. Now they're going to try to stand before a holy God who is described in Hebrews 12 as a consuming fire, and they want to walk up Mount Sinai and see if they can hang out with him for a while. Ain't going to work. What you want to do is come to the mountain of mercy, Mount Zion, where Jesus has dealt with your sin forever, and now you come through the finished work of Jesus Christ, and God sees you through the finished work of his son, and now you're acceptable in the beloved, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Much to celebrate. But if you've been playing a game with God, and that's what God is saying to Israel, then God says, your iniquities are still there. If you look at 59.1, he says, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. That tells me that they're not saved. God's saying, I can save you, but the issue is you're not willing to come on the terms that I'm saying you can be saved. Now, sometimes people say, what happened to someone who was this side of the cross? What about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about Jacob? What about David? How did they get saved in the same way you do? Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, 6, and what? It was reckoned to him as righteousness. The moment Abraham believed in the Lord, God imputed righteousness, and and I would argue even we could think of Christ's righteousness, to his account simply by faith. Genesis 22 came much later after Isaac had been born, and then Abraham went up on the mountain and obeyed God and offered up Isaac, and he was about to kill him in obedience to God. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, I believe Jesus said, don't do that, I know you honor me. 
But way before that, years before that, Abraham was righteous simply by his trust in God, in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he acted out the gospel up on Mount Moriah when he went up to offer Isaac. Amen? See, this is the picture. This is what God has done for us. But God can save, but the question is, will they come on his terms? Here's the problem. Their sins, their iniquities, verse two, their sins are still there. They haven't been dealt with because they haven't come to God and the truth of what we've been studying now is they haven't come to God in broken repentance. They haven't come to God in contrition, in humility. And God says your actions prove it. Look at verse 3, 59, 3. For your hands, well, they're defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood or lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. You see, one of the ways that you can tell if a person is genuine is by their actions. Works do not save us. I hope that I've made that clear in the beginning. But works do testify to a genuine faith. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. If the Spirit of God is in your life, you're going to have some fruit. There's going to be some measurable change. Okay, You're going to be being transformed. And a lot of you could come up here right now and tell us how much the Lord has changed in your life. You still got some issues, I know, we all do. But you've been changed. You look at the world differently now, you're a different person, and that is what God is saying. He's saying, look, your hands, and this is radical, there's blood on your hands, verse three. What is that? Well, we studied a chapter not too long ago where we watched the fact that the people of Israel were going to the pagan gods and killing their firstborn to sacrifice them to Molech. They were destroying their children to appease a pagan god. And God says, there's something wrong. There's blood on your hands. Do you remember when Pontius Pilate was trying to get off the hook with Jesus and his wife had brought him the note, have nothing to do with this righteous man? And Pilate finally, he couldn't convince the people and he said to them, I am innocent of the blood of this man. And he washed his hands in front of the crowd and they said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. He said, you're responsible. And Jesus even said to Pilate, he who handed me over to you, he has the greater sin, which by the way makes a case for degrees of sin, which we won't won't get into right now. Their hands were defiled with blood. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but you watch maybe a movie and you see someone trying to deal with someone critically wounded. And if they get blood on their hands, it's kind of a frightening thing because they, you know, they they're trying to deal with a victim and then they pull their hands out and their hands are filled with blood, stained with blood. That's, that's the idea here. That's the picture. The picture is that sin pollutes us. And that's further reason why we can't be in fellowship with the holy God with the pollution of sin still abiding on us. God says your fingers, they're filled with iniquity, and your lips... How many sins are committed? You know, we think, okay, here's physical sins. Maybe it was the sacrifice of their children to this God. Maybe it was killing, murdering other people. But how much damage is done, verse three, with people's lips speaking lies or their tongue muttering, NIV puts it, wicked things. James says, no one can tame the tongue, James 3.8. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, 
and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. I have kids in high school right now who have people who cannot imagine that they don't curse. And they even try to get my boys to curse just so that they will curse. Why don't you curse? They say, I don't need to curse. I don't need to do that. You see, but from the same fountain ought not to come blessing and cursing. Now, look, we all have our moments, right? Whether spoken or unspoken, usually maybe on the freeway, (laughs) where we're, you know, bad words begin to form in the back of the brain. We all know how that goes, right? We're not talking about perfection here. But I hope your mouth is changing. You know, when I became a Christian, I have to tell you, I lived on the other side of the railroad tracks. Some people find it hard to believe. They think I was born a pastor. No, I wasn't. I got saved when I was about 20 years old. And I had lived on the other side of the tracks, and my mouth was not very pretty. And my friends would call me up, and you'd have to bleep out about every other word, because that's the way we we talked. But after I became a Christian, I noticed that when they would call me and the bleep, bleep, bleep would be going on at the other end, it's, I started to kind of cringe. And now if I hear my Lord's name taken in vain, it's like appalling to me. But that took time. It's a process where the Lord begins to change your heart and out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So you, so you have somebody who knows you're a Christian and you're, you're in an activity with them and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And you know, something slipped out. I'm sorry. And, and usually I just say, uh, if you kiss my ring, I'll give you penance. No, I, but I, I like to try to exploit that. But, but you could say to someone, what about all the other times when I'm not with you? You don't have to appease me because of your filthy mouth. What you may want to do is check your heart. Because Jesus said a man will give an account for every careless word that he has spoken. I'd run to the cross right after I read that verse. He will give an account for every careless word he has spoken. Unless, of course, those sins have been paid for. Amen? Amen? Now, God goes on to talk about their behavior. Here's the problem. No one sues righteously, verse 4, 59. No one calls for justice if you have the New King James. No one pleads honestly. The New King James adds, pleads for the truth. They trust in confusion or empty words. Tohu is the Hebrew word. We studied it earlier. It means confusion or a state of flux. They speak lies. They trust in confusion. Their life is chaos. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. I suppose the verse is basically saying, if you want to measure how a nation is doing, take a look at their legal system. <laughs> Do I need to say any more? I mean, take a look at our legal system. Are people still swearing on the Bible? Do they still do that now in courts? Do you, anybody know? Anybody been recently in court? Anybody want to confess anything right now? Just kidding. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, me. I mean, God. Right, And so then the attorney begins to question. Or have you ever watched, if, you're ha- if you've been sick for a couple days, you ever turn on the court TV? How many people want to confess that you've watched it before? Anyway, and you watch people get caught in these lies, and it's like they don't even think twice about it. You're lying, aren't you? Well, I, uh, well, I, I, yeah. It's like nothing. It's expected that people lie. The person that tells the truth, nobody knows what to do with them. 
It doesn't make for good court drama when someone just tells the truth. You got to figure out who's actually telling the truth or more the truth than the other person. Crazy. That's where we are. I won't even start with politicians. He who is pregnant with evil, Psalm 71.4, conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. I'll tell you what, when this stuff begins, it just seems to snowball. They hatch adder's eggs. The New King James says viper's eggs or the eggs of vipers, NIV. They weave the spider's web. This is what they're up to. And he who eats of their eggs that they hatch dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing because webs are fragile and weak anyway. And the web that they weave is uh, just going to produce nothing good. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity and an act of violence is in their hand. Um, The egg is simply an illustration of what people produce. Uh, You hang around some people and you say that they're toxic, man. (laughs) Don't eat what they're selling. Don't drink the water, man. (laughs) It's not good. You hang around somebody for a while and you begin to feel the poison seeping into you and you're like, what's happening to me? Well, bad company corrupts good morals. They weave the spider's web. How many of you have wove a web and then you look back on it and you say, oh my goodness, look what I just created. Not good. See, these are the images that are coming forth. They're images of poison and futility. Their feet, verse 7, run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. It's like the moment they hear of something evil, they run toward it. They don't hesitate to shed innocent blood, 7. Their thoughts, it's in their minds, are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. It's their path. They do not know the way of peace, the way of God. That's shalom there. And there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them, whoever follows, in other words, uh, does not know peace as well. How many people, you know, I look at children who are growing up in non-Christian households. I watch the crooked path that their parents set for them, and then I watch them go down the crooked path. And it's very sad to watch because the one thing that we ought to be given to the little gifts that are given to us is faith in Jesus Christ. But instead, there's a lot of crooked paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. If you want a straight path, trust in the Lord. Stay on the highway of holiness. In verses 7 and 8, um, Paul quotes these verses in Romans 3. So let's go there for a moment. Romans 3. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 3. Paul, Paul's purpose in Romans 3 is to show the universal nature of sin. Notice what he says. Romans 3.10 says, It is written, There is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3. 7, 15, Romans 3.15. Here's the quotation. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace, 
Notice Romans 3.17. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a what? Gift by his grace through the redemption, he's the redeemer, which is, in, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed, he displayed him on the cross publicly as a propitiation, that means an appeasement of God's holiness in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. This is the power of the cross. Isaiah's talking about it, and Paul quotes it in one of the most famous sections about justification by faith, that, that we are uh, justified in God's presence, not by works, but by faith. And this is exactly what Isaiah is talking about as well. Go back to Isaiah 59. Proverbs 1, 15 and 16, talking about wisdom from a father to a son, says... My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. There are many people who are won over by their peers to do stupid things. And when they follow that path, sometimes they end up doing things that they regret because it's a crooked path. But we can all be saved from that, and that's what God's talking about. He says, therefore, uh, now there's going to be a transition in the text, Isaiah 59, 9. There's going to be some ownership. There's going to be some light now. There's going to be some realization that they're guilty. And it could be that Isaiah is putting himself in the place of the people, or it could be kind of the response of a repentant group. Therefore, notice, justice is far from us. Notice how the pronouns are changing. Now it's us. Now it's ownership. Therefore, justice is far from us. We've heard what God just said, and he's right. Justice is far away from us. Righteousness does not overtake us, 59.9, middle of the verse. And we hope for light, maybe even in their fasting. But behold, darkness for brightness this is what we hope for, but we walk in gloom. The NIV says deep shadows. What we thought maybe going over to paganism would produce has produced just the opposite. What I thought would be self-satisfaction if I pursued what the world says was important, I thought it would bring me light, but it brought me darkness. I thought it would bring me some sort of benefit, but instead it brought me gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men, 10. Notice how it's personal pronoun again. We grope like those who have, would you notice? No eyes. Now, one writer said, blindness is a misfortune which might be corrected, but to have no eyes is, humanly speaking, an irreversible condition which can only be mended by an act of new creation. If you have no eyes, what are you gonna do? 
You don't have the parts to see. And they say, we grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday, because if you can't see, it doesn't matter what time it is, as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous or strong, we are like dead men. You know, they're beginning to see their sin in heaven's eyes, and they're saying, oh my goodness, we're blind. As a matter of fact, it's worse. We have no eyes. We're groping along. We're stumbling along. And how many of you can think back to the time when maybe you were sitting in a church service, maybe you were hearing the gospel, and your sin just came like a flood before you, and you realized in a moment of time what you had created. You saw your sin not in, a, in a, an excusing, justifiable way like, well, everybody else does it. And, no, you saw heaven's view of your sin. And at that moment when you see that, friends, you begin to come up with pictures like this. You begin to say, I was just groping around like a dead man. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 1 and 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ made you, you remember, alive, right? Having taken away um, and dealt with all of your sin. Verse 11, all of us growl like bears. Um, the growling of a bear is a pretty scary thing, right? And it could be an anticipation that you're going to be the lunch of the bear. Um, we growl like bears. This speaks of an angry growl and moan sadly like doves. Maybe this is where Prince got his song this is what it sounds like when doves cry. I don't even know what the song's about, but I remember that lyric. There's a combination of anger and sadness. And when you see your sin in the light of heaven's eyes, that's what happens to you. You get angry at the years that you wasted, the stupid things that you did, the crooked path that you led even others down, and you begin to moan and cry over your sin. And when you do, something good is happening to you. Because brokenness and contrition is the exact recipe that God said was required for us to cry out for salvation. It says we hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it, it's far away from us. Sometimes it feels so far we feel like I, I've been ripped off. I've ripped off myself and others. I'm fighting a losing battle. What can be done? And if Isaiah is speaking for everybody, you can see he's taking ownership in the prayer or in the passage almost like Nehemiah did, like Daniel did, like Ezra did, all chapter nine of their books. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Now here, it's almost as if God said, here's the problem. He diagnosed the problem they saw it for what it was. Oh my goodness, he's right. And now they come into court. It's moved to a courtroom scene, verse 12. And they say, our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Picture God seated at a huge mahogany bench and there's stacks of folders with all the evidence of your sin before God. They're multiplied in stacks, you know, right up almost, you know, to the top of the desk. All right, where are we gonna begin with this case? Case number 349, here comes the accused. Here you come. They've got a DVD. Angels are really good, technically savvy. They've got it all. Everything you thought, everything, <laughs> it's all there, man. Here you come in shackles, right? All right, play the DVD player. Any final words before we play it? All your thoughts will now be exposed to the world, to the court of heaven. Ah, uh, please don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
Can we, uh, can we meet in private quarters and talk about it? Our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Our sins are the prosecutor. They testify against us. Our transgressions, they're like constant companions with us. We know our iniquities. It's almost as if the litigant comes in, he sees the stacks of, of um, evidence, he hears the prosecutor introduce the case, he knows the DVD is going to be played, and he says, Judge, my sin is always with me, I know what it is. My iniquity, I know it. It's like a constant companion. David said in Psalm 51, after he had blown it, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I know, I know I'm guilty. What can be done? I know I'm guilty of transgressing 13 and denying the Lord, turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words, 14, You're going to get some relief. Hang in there. Justice is turned back, given kind of personhood here. Righteousness stands far away, doesn't even want to come into the room. Truth has stumbled in the street. And uprightness, it cannot even come in. These are key words in the Hebrew text. Turned back is justice and righteousness stands far off. Stumbled in the public square is truth and uprightness. It cannot enter. Look at 15. Yes, truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. The one dude who decides to be right and say, hey, there's something wrong here. Uh, I'd like to speak the truth. He gets thrown out. He becomes the prey for the others because he's such a sore thumb in this, in this uh, room. He's like the uh, three Hebrew males who wouldn't bow down before Nebi's colossal golden image in the book of Daniel, remember? Hey, boss, if you watch Veggie Tales, there's those three Hebrew guys. They're not bowing down to you. Right? Sorry, I watched a lot of Vintage Tales as my kids were going up. They stuck out like a sore thumb because they would not bow down. There were the one group who said, no, truth will stand today. Whether you kill us or not, Nebuchadnezzar, that's not the issue. We're not going to bow down to your gods. We believe that God can spare us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. Wow. You know, people like that, in today's society, they become a prey. Truth is lacking. (laughs) Now the Lord saw it. Now, notice what happens. The Lord saw, he saw all this stuff. Think of the courtroom. Think of him seeing the stacks of evidence. Think of everything that's come before us. And it displeased him. It was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. If you want to know what God thinks... There it is. He looks at it. He watches the goings on and he, he is displeased. And he says, where's the justice? Where's the people who will actually carry out my heart in this world? Where is it? It displeases him that truth is lacking. It displeases him. The Lord looked, he saw, and he was appalled. And he saw And this is what we call anthropomorphic language. It doesn't mean that God was surprised, but it's giving you a way to get your arms around what's happening. He saw that there was no man, 16, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. 
If you have the NIV, it says, he saw that there was no one and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. I think the New King James says that there was no intercessor. God looked and said, is there anyone who's going to step in and speak the truth and tell the truth? Is there a mediator? Is there an intercessor? And the answer is there wasn't. And then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. God said, in essence, from heaven, enough is enough. I'll take care of this. I'll come into the courtroom. I'll make it right. And look at this. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. God said, I'll put on righteousness like a breastplate. I'll save those who want to come, but I'm also putting on the garment 17 of vengeance for clothing, and I'm going to wrap myself with zeal. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're almost done, but you need to see this. Ephesians 6. So you have a belt of truth, and you have a breastplate of, what is it? Righteousness. Who gives it to you? God. It's called the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God, you need all of it, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Guess what? He's scheming and he's been around a long time. That should sober you up. <laughs> For our struggle, it doesn't say my struggle, it says our struggle. Let me say this to you, Christian. You're going to struggle. It might be good just to admit that. It's our struggle. We're all in it together. Our struggle. Uh, No hesitation saying it. The Bible teaches it. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because this battle is true and it's a struggle, Take up, 13, Ephesians 6, how much? The full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, here's the pieces, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. Look at the next verse. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and 16, in addition to all this, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish not some, but all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Remember Isaiah 59, 17. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me say this. Simply put, and I could spend the next eight weeks on this. God is your armor. He is your righteousness. He is your helmet. The armor of God is God. And you say, well, how do you put on God? That sounds a little strange. Go to Romans 13. Romans 13. Here's how you do it. Remember, this is spiritual, not physical. Romans 13, a few books back. Look at verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on what? Romans 13, 12 says, put on the armor of light. Excuse me. 
Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But what should we do? Put on who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Connect verse 14 with verse 12. The armor of light is Jesus Christ. You're to put on the armor of light. Now he specifies what it is. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Go back to Isaiah 59. Putting on the armor is putting on God. I'd like to know how to do that, wouldn't you? I don't know how to do it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What you do... Is you, is you start to take in the things of God. The way you get arrayed with the clothing of God is you get into the word of God. You pray and you are clothed with heaven's power. The idea of putting on is in duo in the Greek, endow. And Jesus talked about being endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit when God would uh, respond to us and touch us and fill us, that's when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're putting on the power of God for the battle because the battle doesn't just belong to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. He's already won it for you. All you gotta do is walk in the victory. Don't make any provision for your flesh. If you've ever gone camping or hiking, you bring provisions, right? You bring water, granola bars, whatever you like to snack on. That's a provision. Because you have legitimate needs. Water and granola bars. Snickers. I don't know if that's legitimate, but anyway. You brought a provision. The word provision in Greek means to have forethought and supply. So you thought ahead. You say, hmm, I think what I'll need is several bottles of water and granola bars. So you go up hiking. (laughs) You're up there. (laughs) Tired. Get out the water. Here's your provision. You get out the granola bar. Oh, that's good, yeah. You guys tried that salty caramel granola bar? Oh, yeah. Anyway, so that's what you should bring. So there you are. You made a provision to satisfy a legitimate need, but your flesh also has illegitimate things it wants. It wants you to feed it, and you're to make how many provisions for that? None. So you say, I struggle with pornography. How many channels you got on the TV? 753. You got a filter on your computer? No. I struggle with Rocky Road ice cream. Do you buy it? Yes. Two gallons in the freezer. But every time I walk by the freezer, I say, Lord, deliver me. That's called making a provision for your flesh. You've thought it out. You supplied your flesh. And then you wonder why you eat it. I don't know. Hmm. You see, this is basic, folks. You don't make a provision for it. And when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're making a spiritual provision to strengthen yourself. And then you make no provision for the flesh. And you start realizing that you're going to fall less. And when you don't do that, guess what you're doing? You're playing a game, a losing game. You've set yourself up for failure. You put the provision right there in the cookie jar. And then every time you walk by the cookie jar, you add a temptation that you shouldn't have there. And you say, I don't know why I fall. Do you walk past the cookie jar? Yeah. Maybe you should get rid of it. Give it to somebody with high metabolism and move on (laughs) with your life. You're doing it to yourself. We've met the enemy. 
and it is us. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Here's his vengeance. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense, 59.19. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come in his judgment like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression, NIV says, repent of their sins. In Jacob declares the Lord. And as for me, and I think now we're coming down to the nitty gritty of the servant of the Lord. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, many believe that's Jesus there. And my words which I've put in your mouth shall depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring. Write down Isaiah 53.10 where it says Jesus will have many offspring. Nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now on and forever. Go to Isaiah 61 and we're done. Three verses. The Spirit of the Lord, 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Would you bow with me? Jesus, we know that in the book of Luke, you quoted at least part of these verses because you were the fulfillment of the prophecy. The Lord would come in battle attire Although physically you didn't have battle armament on, but you came to battle sin and death, principalities and powers, you triumphed over them through the cross. You nailed my sins to the cross. You are my captain. You are my savior. You are my God. You are my Lord. And you are also my armor. I'm an armor bearer for the king And incredibly, each day, you invite me to put on God, to to wear the power of the Most High. To have that kind of power available is so awesome. To put it on is another thing. Knowledge is one thing. Application is quite another. And so help us, Lord, to apply or to put on what you've provided. Let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day and see that your power is available, resident in us, and ready to do battle. The battle is yours. You've won it from the beginning to the end. All we have to do is put on your provision. And that's where we struggle. So help us, Lord, to realize the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are spiritual and to put on the provisions as we seek you first thing in the morning, as we put on the armor in prayer, as we seek your word, 
as we realize that we can, we can win in this Christian walk. We can have victory consistently if we'll just simply do what you say. You'll provide the power. We just need to plug into it. So help us, Lord, in those areas of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Redeemer Will Come to Zion on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 59. Hey, we'd love to connect with our listeners. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the team here a letter. We love mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Or you can get it now. Our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address if you're ready. You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, our great hope is that Jesus Christ is coming again, and he will receive us to himself, that where he is, there we may be also. Jesus is coming again. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Now, if you've not met Jesus and you're not sure that you'd be prepared for him to come, or if something happened and you pass from this life, and if he doesn't come in your lifetime, you're going to, you're not prepared to meet him. You don't know him. Salvation is to know him. It's to have Jesus Christ living on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's being born again to a living hope. It's having your sin forgiven as you receive Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King. Have you done that? Are you ready for the return of the great King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? If you're not, ask him into your life today. Repent of your sin. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I know it. My sin is ever before me, David said. Would you forgive me? I know you want truth in the inward parts. You don't want me to put on a show. You want my heart. Lord, I'm going to return to you. I'm going to return if you need to rededicate to my first love. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my wandering. I'm coming home. Thank you for dying on that terrible cross for me, Lord. Thank you for rising from the dead. Be my Lord, be my King, be my Savior, be my God. Help me to use my life in service of the great King. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you opened up your life to Jesus Christ, rededicated your life, would you let us know? Would you also reach out to us if the uh, ministry of Walk in Truth has been a blessing in any way? We love the encouragement of the body of Christ. You say, how do I do that? Email us at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. Hey, let us know. Hey, I prayed to receive the Lord. I rededicated. Hey, the ministry's been a blessing or uh, we've been telling you about a step closer. It's a new layer of our ministry. We're doing mini-sodes on apologetics topics. We just finished one on the Roe v. Wade leak decision talking about how to think through the issue of abortion, the issue of life. Uh, We did one on the resurrection with Professor Joe Kelly, the one on Roe v. Wade with Pastor Shane Lance and Angie Plaza. Incredibly 
powerful content that will help you. It will bolster your faith. It will encourage and challenge you at the same time. How do I get there, Pastor Michael? Here's what you do. Search your favorite podcast app, Spotify, iHeart, whatever you use, and search Walk in Truth. Look for the mini-sodes, but also remember you can get the rest of the teaching from Isaiah 59 or any of the previous chapters or future chapters in Isaiah when you go the same way, which is you search Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Hey, we're so glad you're listening. We appreciate your prayers, your partnership, your love. We love you. We're grateful. And uh, we will see you next time right here on Walk in Truth. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. Now, whether you can give financially or not, would you please spread the word of Walk in Truth around your community? You can tell a couple people to either listen on this station or find Walk in Truth on their podcast app. And don't forget, if you would like to hear the rest of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 59 called The Redeemer Will Come to Zion, you'll find the entire message on the free Living Truth app, or you can follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. And join us on Monday for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 60 called The Light Shines. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.